Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. On June the 1st, 1310, a woman was brought to the public square in Paris. She had been accused and convicted of heresy by the church because of a controversial book that she had written, and on that day she was burned at the stake. A horrific way to die, only reserved for what the church considered to be the worst of sinners, and a sad end for one of the most interesting women of the Middle Ages. The book she had written, and for which she was executed, is known as The Mirror of Simple Souls. It would be published and spread anonymously after the author's death, and ironically became quite popular and somewhat of a classic in circles of Christian mysticism. It is only in the 1940s that the author of this amazing work was identified as the person who we will talk about today, the French mystic Marguerite Porette. Marguerite Porette was born into a tumultuous time in 13th century Europe, and in France to be precise. A time of great scholarly activity with the flourishing of the great universities and with scholastic figures like Thomas Aquinas, Meister Eckhart, Albert the Great, among many others. The context in which she lived is important in order to understand not only her writings and ideas, but also why she was deemed a heretic and treated so harshly, while other similar figures of other periods were not. This was a period when the church ruled supreme, of course, and over the course of the 13th century and definitely by the early 14th, the church had become a lot more restrictive and quick to, for example, deem people as heretics. And there are probably several reasons for this. There were a lot of inner turmoil and conflict within the church, and it was a rather uncertain time uh, in Europe generally, and especially in the church, and this probably led to this more restrictive uh, approach and attitude uh, at the time. 
But one very important factor in the 13th century was the so-called Beguine movement. This was a movement of women who lived um, semi-monastic lives. In other words, these were people who often lived in monastic communities, led chaste lives, didn't marry, and in any ways lived similar lives to how monks and nuns lived, with the exception that they didn't take any formal monastic vows. The Beguines didn't marry as long as they were Beguines, but they could also choose to leave and live normal lives at any time they chose. This movement was very influential in the 13th century and provided some of the most significant Christian mystics in history. It is with the Beguines that we get people like Hadewig and Mechtild of Magdeburg, who in their writings, like especially in Mechtild's uh, classic The Flowing Light of the Godhead, not only pioneered the use of vernacular language for religious expression by writing in German, but also a new way of talking about the mystical relationship and union with God that they had experienced. While the Begin movement was rather admired by a lot of people in the beginning, over the course of the 13th century, so by the late 13th century and, and especially the early 14th century, they began to be looked upon with a lot of suspicion. The ambiguous social and religious role of these Begin women bothered the Pope and the other church authorities. Um, they, of course, didn't belong formally within the church hierarchy like nuns and monks did. They were part of the church system. The Beguines weren't in the same way, and yet at the same time, they could hold and, and, and have a significant religious influence and, and power in the regions where they were located. And this Begin movement will become very important for the story of Marguerite Poret, as we will see. But another very important development in the 13th century Christendom in Europe was another movement that was referred to as the Heresy of the Free Spirit. This wasn't a specific movement or group of people, but more a kind of general tendency among certain Christians at the time, which was greatly opposed and criticized by the church. And the word heresy is a polemical word that we shouldn't take too seriously here, of course, but the church was very serious about this supposed group. What they are supposed to have believed is hard to say with certainty, because it is fraught with so much polemical and, and biased um, sources. Nonetheless, in the words of scholar Frank Tobin, quote, those of the free spirits were accused of maintaining that one can attain a state in this life in which it was impossible to sin that in this state, ascetical practices are unnecessary because reason is no longer affected by the sensuality of the body, and hence one is free to accord to the body all one wishes. And that in this state, one is not subject to the laws of the church, but has freedom in the spirit of the Lord. They were said to characterize this state of perfection as the soul's annihilation in the nothingness that is God. On the other hand, they were accused of teaching that God can be an obstacle to the attainment of perfection. These accusations, as formulated by the church, are of course hard to take all that seriously because they paint a very clearly a caricature, a very unflattering caricature of what these supposed people of the free spirit are supposed to have believed. But if we look at it in a more sort of broad, the broad outlines of what is said here, it does remind us of some of the things that Marguerite Poret does say in her book, The Mirror of Simple Souls. And indeed, when we talk about the heresy of the free spirit, some of the people associated with that movement is indeed 
uh, Marguerite Poiret, and also, uh, for example, Meister Eckhart. The doctrines of the free spirit were formally condemned at the Council of Vienne in 1311-1312. And we can see then that the time and place in question was one of a lot of unrest and uneasiness within the church, having to face a lot of inner turmoil and trouble and controversial developments and movements. And it is into this environment that Marguerite Poret was born, probably in 1250. Sadly, as has become customary in these episodes, we don't know much at all about Marguerite's life. She was from France and was most likely from a wealthy aristocratic family, due to the simple fact that she was literate and was able to publish and promote her works later in life. She is often associated with the Beguine movement already mentioned, and is often thought to have been or lived as a Beguine for most of her life, although many scholars today doubt this as the evidence is quite slim. In any case, she certainly seems to have lived a religious life, and if her writings are anything to go by, she seems to have had some very intense mystical experiences of being annihilated in and united with God. It is these experiences that she would try to explicate later on in her writings. It seems that she wrote the first version of her masterpiece, The Mirror of Simple Souls, sometime in the 1290s. Now, instead of writing this book in Latin, the accepted and most popular language for religious texts, she followed the earlier Beguines and Mystics by writing a book in a vernacular language, in this case French, something that was quite controversial in itself at the time because indeed she would soon run into some trouble. She started circulating this book, showing it to different people, but a few years later some church authorities were outraged by the book, deemed it heretical, and chose to have it burned. But Marguerite persisted, she continued to write and continued to spread her book, which of course further provoked her critics. In 1308, she was arrested and handed to the Inquisitor of France, William of Paris, and placed in prison alongside one of her supporters, a beggar by the name of Guillard de Cressonnesart. One of the things that the Inquisitors wanted to achieve by putting her in prison was probably to make her recant her ideas or to take her book or the, the statements in her book back. But she instead continuously refused over and over again. She would not recant her ideas and stood by the statement she had made in her book. She also refused to take part in the trial against her, which resulted in her prison stay being extended to over two years. Now her prison mate, her supporter, Guillard, was eventually, uh, well, he eventually confessed, so to say, and was put in prison, uh, or, or remained in prison, I should say, whereas Marguerite would just continuously refuse to give in to the Inquisitors. Finally then, in 1310, the Inquisitors decided to go ahead with the trial without her participation. They examined certain sections from her book and decided that they were indeed heretical. And after allowing Marguerite the opportunity to recant her views to save her life, only to be met again by her strong refusal, they handed her over to the secular authorities for execution. And the rest of the unfortunate story you already know. This probably raises a lot of questions for some of you, mainly what is it about this book that was so controversial, or what does this book actually say? 
for many of us, the fact that this book was so met with so much opposition and even led to her execution just makes us want to read it even more. And when we do read it, we find a fascinating and sophisticated mystical and philosophical work that explores the soul's relationship to God and their union with each other. The book takes the form of a dialogue between different characters, each of which represents abstract concepts. The three main characters are the soul, probably referring to Marguerite herself. Then there is the character love, who advises the soul about God and the experience of mystical union. And lastly, there is reason, who acts as a kind of counterweight, always questioning her statements and acting as the, well, as the voice of reason. This dynamic is at the core of the book. Love is clearly the source of ultimate wisdom to Marguerite and represents her own views and teachings. It is daring, shocking, and mystical. It isn't philosophical, rational arguments, but ineffable, mystical knowledge that is conveyed by the character Love. But Marguerite was fully aware of how some of the statements that Love makes in the book sounds and that it can easily be understood as controversial, you could say, and this is why the character of reason is so important. So reason always comes in and questions the statements made by love. Love will say something outrageous, uh, like, when the soul is united to God, the soul lets go of all virtues. And then the reason will jump in and say, how on earth could you say something like that? What do you mean? Please explain. And then love will explain even more and so on. So this dynamic is constantly at the core of the narrative and the way that this book is structured. The character of reason obviously represents not only, well, reason itself and its limitations in understanding the realities of mystical love, but also the critics and scholastics of the church at the time. In a very clever way, she's kind of responding to the criticisms that would be thrown at her even before they were, so to say. Here's an example, quote, love says, This soul cares not of shame, nor of worship, nor of poverty, nor of riches, nor of ease or disease, nor of love or hate, nor of hell or paradise. Then reason responds, O love, by God, what is this that you are saying? Love responds, What is this to say? Only those whom God has given understanding can know. For no scripture teaches it, nor can reason comprehend it, or the travailing of deserts reach it. But it is a gift given by the Most High, in whom this creature is lost in knowing and becomes annihilated in her understanding. Through this fascinating dialogue, Marguerite tells us that the soul can become completely annihilated in God, that it can become one and united to God fully, so that nothing of the individual remains. And one of the most important themes in this wider topic, one of the central themes in this book, is the question of will. For Poret, the goal of the mystical quest, as well as the result of union with God, is for the individual will of the person to be completely eradicated. Now, all of us have wills and desires upon which we act in basically every moment of our lives. Now I am hungry, which means I will to eat, and thus I will make some dinner. Now I will to worship God, so I go to church, and so on. But for Marguerite Poret, all of this is a hindrance to reaching God. Instead, we should stop willing altogether so that there is no trace of will left in the soul. We shouldn't even will to know or worship God himself. And when the soul becomes united with God and thus the will of the person is non-existent, God's will becomes her will. Quote, reason says, 
Are you saying that the soul has no will at all? Love responds, truly no, for everything that she wills by her consent is that which God wills that she would will, and this she wills so that the will of God may be accomplished, not at all her own will, and she cannot will this of herself, but it is the will of God that wills it in her, and so it is clear that this soul has no will at all that she has to will. In other words, there is only God's will now being enacted through the person. The idea here is that the will of the individual person is just completely non-existent. It, it, it's annihilated, it's eradicated radically, and only God's will is what, what remains. There is only God's will, and anything that the person will do from then on will be through the will of God and not through the will of their own soul. This argument, again, is the main thrust of the entire book. And the consequences of this idea of the will being eradicated is the reason why this book upsets so many people. Indeed, what Marguerite Poret argues is that when the will of the individual soul is annihilated completely, the person has become united to God, and their will is gone, this means that the person does not have to abide by the virtues, or by virtues at all. So it means that once the person is united to God and his will is gone, this means he doesn't have to go to church, this means that he doesn't have to give to the poor or follow the laws of the church. Undoubtedly very shocking stuff to a medieval European audience. Quote, love says, The soul of such love may say to the virtues, I take leave of you, to which virtues this soul has been a servant for so long. The soul says, I assent, lady love, so I was then, but now your courtesy has delivered me in this way out of this bondage. Therefore I say, virtues, I take leave of you forever. Now my heart shall be more free and at peace than it ever was. Oh, I was then your servant, but now I am delivered out of your thraldom. However, as always, things aren't so simple. We see here clear parallels to the doctrines ascribed to the controversial heresy of the free spirit that we talked about earlier, which immediately caused trouble for Marguerite. If you remember my episode about the contemporary Christian mystic Meister Eckhart, you remember that he presented very similar arguments. Indeed, many argue that Eckhart probably had read The Mirror of Simple Souls and was inspired by it. But in both cases, when they talk about this state of will's non-existence and its ethical consequences, what Eckhart calls living without a why, they don't really mean what it seems like they mean. Understandably, the inquisitors and critical scholars took this doctrine to mean that the person united with God was relieved of religious and social obligation, that they could live their lives without following the laws of the church. But this is not what Poret is saying, or Eckhart for that matter. Instead, what she means is that when the person is fully united to God and her will has become eradicated, so only God's will remains, she quote-unquote, doesn't have to be virtuous because she no longer has any will to do so. She doesn't have to will going to church or follow the laws, but she still does it through the will of God. In theological language, talking about God, God doesn't have to choose to do the right thing. He just does the right thing because he is God. And so the united soul will still be virtuous. It, the person will still worship God and respect the church, but it will not do so by its own will, but rather, you could say, kind of automatically by the will of God, who is now willing through this soul. 
This seemingly flew over the heads of the Inquisitors, who only saw in this text a crude kind of anti-nominalism, and thus they deemed it heretical. And so it was that Marguerite Poret was condemned for these statements made in her book, and as we saw earlier, she still refused to recant her ideas or to fall to the pressure of the Inquisitors, even at the threat of death. On the day of her execution, bystanders are said to have been brought to tears by the calmness with which Poret faced her end, perhaps as a result of her firm conviction that the ideas she had presented were indeed true. And so ends the story of one of the most fascinating figures of medieval Christianity. A woman who dared to present bold ideas and stood her ground even to her last breath. The Mirror of Simple Souls has become a classic of mystical literature and was circulated in history under anonymous authorship until it could be determined in the mid-20th century that the author was indeed Marguerite Poret. The text is incredibly difficult to get through, even in a lucid modern English translation, but if you have the time and energy to attempt it, I highly recommend you check out this book. It's a fascinating read and it's a look into a form of Christianity that many people aren't perhaps familiar with today, and also into a time and place in medieval Europe uh, that is that is very interesting, very fascinating, very important for, for a lot of different reasons. It shows us not only how a religion like Christianity is internally diverse, but also that even in the most restrictive of environments, there will always be people who dare to present ideas that are innovative and unique. I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.